Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Friday morning, you all just hung up because of the fact that I screamed in your ear. That's what just happened. But guess what? Everybody come back. Bring it back in. Let's breathe. Let's breathe this one out. Guess who's not sick? Guess. Go ahead. Go ahead, everybody. No. No. Yes. That's right. This motherfucker. Not sick anymore. Can you tell? I just told Jerry that um, if I were to do drugs and if I were to do cocaine... I would assume that that's what this feeling is right now. I just had a whole bunch of pineapple for breakfast. I talked to uh, a wonderful human being this morning. Her name is Marcy Katz, the owner of ChefWorks. For any of you guys who wear chef jackets and fun stuff out there like that, she talked to her this morning. Um, we have an awesome guest today. I'm so excited for it. I love this dude. I love his vision. I love, uh, all of his properties that he has. I'm really excited about it, but let's talk first. Let's, let's chat. Let's bring it back in. Let's bring it while we're here because it's Duffified live. So what that means is that we always start off the show with a little bit of an experience talk about fun things that I did. So this week, After being sick as a dog last week, I spent three days, two and a half full days, three total in bed, which for me is the equivalent of a 100% charge on a brand new phone. Like I'm not going to wear down. I plug in every now and then. I don't have any too many. I don't have too many apps going on. I don't have too many pictures in me because I got rid of everything. I got rid of the illness. I got rid of the sickness. I got rid of all the excess bullshit that was dragging me down uh, from 104. Let me let me let me do that again. 104,000 miles in the air last year. Okay, so all those dirty fuckers that were out there talking and breathing on me, uh, including my wonderful nephew, uh, who I love and adore with every fiber of my being. Um, if you go over to Instagram right now and you look at my Instagram page, Chef Bride Duff, you will find a wonderful, iconic, almost Rockwell-esque picture of me putting a bow tie on my nephew, this beautiful young soul, innocent, uh, yearning for knowledge of the world and expelling every single possible germ that was buried deep inside of his Petri dish body, which he then coughed all over my goddamn face. Not once, but multiple thousands of times, multiple thousands of times. I love this child, but I wanted to smack the shit out of my brother for not telling him to cover his mouth, which later we discussed and his and my brother's response was, dude, I'm just fucking tired of it. I'm just tired of him coughing. I can't even tell him anymore because the kid's been sick for most of the winter. Um, and he lives in LA. Like who's sick in LA? 
The only sick people in LA are people that are like mentally unstable. That's how I feel about that. Okay. So, um, California, you can hate on me now because I said that the only sick people would be the mentally unstable ones, but I meant that with love to the environment of that in which California is. So, uh, after a, uh, a, a, a hiatus, I'd like to call it of being home. Luckily we had to cancel, um, the trip up to Boston so that I, uh, we could finish up some production stuff. And then I was lucky enough to be able to stay in bed for that time frame, which made me super happy. In the meantime, I was um, effectively and educationally really trolling the internet to see what was going on in the world. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Donald Trump is president. Like, I had no idea. I really hadn't heard about this anywhere, said sarcastically underneath my breath. Um, Because I hadn't heard anybody bitch and moan about anything in a while, said sarcastically underneath my breath. So one of the big things that happened, I, however, I wanted to see this firsthand. I wanted to see if it was true that Donald J. Trump, the apprentice, was actually the president of the United States. So I drove to Washington, D.C., where I had an event, a charity thing that I had to do on Saturday night. And then I went out with some friends, both old and new. I went out with some friends. Uh, I went to a couple of iconic places. One, I went down to Union Market where I had a nice little uh, meal at a place called, I can't remember, um, Bambino or Bardino or Bird Box or something to that effect. But I had a clam pizza, a clam pie with the charcoal and activated charcoal crust, which oddly enough was pretty damn good. Um, Again, see said picture on said Instagram account. And then from there, uh, went over to uh, the classic, the Dubliner. Walked into the Dubliner. My Irish roots were flowing my uh, my legs, they felt a little jig in them, maybe a little spring in the step. That was one of the things that I was pretty excited about. Sat down at the bar, had my classic little chef's night out, goose, soda, single tall, a couple of olives and a lime. That is my drink of choice these days. In the last couple of years, it's called chef's night out. I think we need to make a movement to get that to be a national drink all over the country. So you can walk in and be like, hey, hey, can I get a chef's night out? And everybody's like, oh, sure. You want a single tall? Is that a pint glass or a Collins? You know, like that's the kind of stuff that we're looking for um, to make a movement. We want to make a movement. We want to make movements that are pointless and useless, okay? Because I think that everybody has a movement for everything. Everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's got everything. So I walk in, have great conversation with the bartender, pretty cool dude. Uh, A friend of mine was with us and she uh, said that the bartender looked like her grandfather when he was young. So she actually brought a picture up and the guy actually did. So we took a picture. We sent it to her mother. Okay. Then uh, it was um, the Irish Times. The Irish Times in D.C., if you've never been before, is a brilliant bar, just a great bar. They actually have a stage that's set off to the right-hand side that's up above the rest of the crowd. Um, I sat at the bar and talked with a bartender whose name escapes me, which is the hardest thing and the worst thing ever to say because it was Rodolfo 
or Rodrigo. I cannot remember exactly, but um, he's been bartending there through most of co- through college. So my brother graduated in the '90s, so the guy's been there for 20 plus years. Awesome bartender. Had a great time talking to him. Had a great time talking to everybody at the bar. Um, I took it upon myself to become the DJ for the evening. Uh, so I took over that AMI jukebox and played music for roughly three hours. Um, one of the things that I like to do is be the DJ. You know, sometimes you just need to let sit back and let somebody else take control of that situation to bring you down a path of musical history which is what I did. We did some B.B. King. I had some um, Ted Nugent that I threw in there. We had some Squeeze. We did a little bit of, um, of uh, who else? Jesus. We played theme songs from classic, iconic movies. There was some Depeche Mode thrown in there, um, some classic rock as well. It was just all around a good night. And I started the whole DJ session off with a little Notorious B.I.G., baby. Okay. Papa, Big Papa. They call me Big Papa. That's what I liked about it. And it was fun. And it was a good night out. And then I slightly inebriated, went back to my hotel where I woke up about 6.30 in the morning and went downstairs and had some breakfast at the hotel um, breakfast bar, which was nice because I don't know if anybody knows I'm a Hilton guy and I get free breakfast. Okay, so it's a payoff to not seeing your family, spending quality time with them, raising your children correctly, you get free bottles of water and breakfast, okay? So it's a nice payoff. It's a really nice payoff. So I did that. Then I went back to sleep and I woke up a little bit later, which was nice. I needed that that kind of downtime, you know, get that body recuperated. I just cleaned it out and I beat the shit out of it Saturday night again. And then on Sunday, I drove home. Uh, I drove around the city of Washington, D.C. I went to the White House where I did not see a putt-putt course out back, which I expected with the president such as Donald Trump. Um, I did, however, hear – oh, I saw the Washington Memorial. Um, I drove past um, Arlington Cemetery. Uh, And then I hopped on the highway and I drove home and I had a really nice drive home. I listened to a couple of podcasts that I like. I listened to some Joe Rogan. Um, I also listened to Bill Burr first time listening to the Bill Burr podcast. It was good. Him and his wife are kind of cute together. It's nice. Nia, her name is. And, uh, they, I like Bill Burr. I like what he has to say about some stuff. It was good. I've been, I've been on this comedian kick lately. I don't know why. But I've been on this comedian kick lately. Um, you know, we've had Heidi Heaslet on. We had Becky Robinson on. I was at Ron Funch's um, premiere party at his house in L.A. a couple weeks ago um, for his Comedy Central special, which the Comedy Central special was the highest rated Comedy Central special, hour-long special, in the last two years. So I don't know who was on there before Ron Funch's, but this guy has – it was brilliant. Really, really nice guy. Enjoyed being at his house, but I've had a lot of fun with this. How do I know Ron Funches? Because my brothers produced that comedy special. Heidi Heaslet was on. She's awesome. Um, uh, Becky Robinson was on. They're on that funny dance show that's going on to Comedy Central as well. So get ready for that show. Looking towards that to come out somewhere around um, June. Okay. 
Um, so that's been my week. That's really kind of been what I've been doing. Um, today I'm actually packing. I'm heading up to Boston. Um, I got a lot of work that I have to do up there for a super secret project that nobody's allowed to know about. I'm having a great conversation with some friends of mine that up there. My partner from North Carolina is meeting me up there as well. So we're going to go up and hang out, have a couple cocktails, check out a couple of, of cool uh, restaurants that are up there in the North End. I'm going to be with my buddy. I'm going to see Jason Santos and Chris Coombs. Um, I'm going to try to see Mr. Husbands while I'm up there as well. I'm going to try to see as many people as I can because then I immediately fly home. And from that flight home, I'm home for a day. And then I pop my youngest or my oldest daughter onto a plane who's going out to uh, for an official visit for a college to be recruited. Hopefully, she's going to come back with a whole bunch of scholarship money in her hand, which is what we're looking for because she's a brilliant child with a huge brain and a very, very loud set of vocal cords because she is a coxswain. If you don't know what a coxswain is, I highly suggest that you pause this show. After I explain to you what a coxswain is and you're going to type in the word C-O-X-S-W-A-I-N and you're going to Google that shit. Okay. That little tiny human being who sits in the front of a boat and keeps the cadence of that boat. That's my daughter. That's what she does. So she's going to be going to college for that shit and she's going to be a criminal psychologist, which scares the shit out of me because now she's going to be able to see through all my bullshit. That's scary. Um, so, uh, and then I go right up to Mohegan Wine. Michelle was on last night, last week, Michelle Ragusis. You had a great, we had a great, com- or two weeks ago, we had a great conversation with her about what she's doing now and what she did, at, what we're doing at Mohegan Sun. So I highly implore every single one of you, I implore you, go to the Mohegan Sun Wine Festival. It is a brilliant weekend. One of my top five favorite chef weekends of the entire year. And that's up there with some really good ones. It might even be in the top three top two great events that I do throughout the year. Uh, The first one is really a tough one to beat, which is Crave Northwest. I go out to Spokane, Washington. I work with all those guys. We do a fun demo. I get to go into one of the casinos and I cook a private dinner for people. And I hop on a Harley and I ride through the Pacific Northwest. So, but this Mohegan Sun is probably second to that because it's a great collaboration of chefs that are going to be out there. All my buddies are going to be out there. The guys that I've worked with, Kev D, Chef Plum, um, Eddie G, Bobby Flay, Arun Sanchez. Um, You know, we've got some amazing guys that are going to be out there. Jason Santos, Chris Coombs, Andy Husband. All of these guys are going to be out there, ladies and men and women and and culinary students and just beautiful people walking around the Mohegan Sun Wine Festival. Um, I have a code. I believe that code is Chef Bryduff. I'm not 100% sure if it's up and running yet, but I think it's going to be active by the time this show is on. It gets you like a discount or something, and and I don't know. um, It gets you like like a $1 chip to play poker with. I have no idea what it gets you, but it just go. It's a great event, a whole bunch of drunken fun. The food is off the hook. The chefs that are there, there's a whole thing called the Celebrity Chef Dine Around. Um, There is a a massive um, estate wine tasting that happens up there that's really cool. Go to this event. Okay, so I just babbled on for roughly 15 minutes straight. Um, I told you guys, I'm refreshed, man. I'm ready to go. Um, 
I want you guys to do me a favor. I'm going to throw this in here in the middle of this because you're all in, like listening so intently right now. I want you guys to go to radioinfluence.com or iTunes or whatever. Do me a favor. Even if you hate me, just go on there and tell me that you hate me. I don't care. I don't give a shit. You're not personally affecting my life. I just want to get some reviews on iTunes. I want to blow this show up. I want to make it, I want to be, I want everybody to be super proud of it because it's a really fun show. And towards the end of the year, I think that I slowed down a little bit. I think I got a little tired. I was a little worn out from the travel, the rigor, the rigmarole of this crazy world that I live in of constantly traveling and doing weird shit. So um, I appreciate all the support that you guys give to me. Now I'm going to ask you to step out of your comfort zone just for a second. I know I told you to go to Google a couple minutes ago, but now I want you to go to iTunes and I want you to write up a little review. Brian Duffy sounds wonderful. I want to have a beer with him. He's the nicest guy out there. I've met him out at bars. Now I get to listen to his show. See, couple of ideas, thoughts. I'm trying to, I'm trying to evoke a little interest. I'm trying to evoke your creative juices for you guys to write amazing reviews. Okay, you can write a horribly shitty review of me. Just give me five stars. I'm cool with that. Pretend like it is Yelp and you're an elite Yelper. Hashtag fuck Yelp. Okay, so where we're going with this show? is I'm about to have a conversation with a dude that I have a tremendous amount of respect for, a tremendous amount of respect for. Um, his personality is one that's unlike I've ever met. He's a super humble dude. Um, he is a very uh, important uh, gentleman in the mixology world. He is uh, a restaurant owner and operator and consultant and has a vision that is is taking over the San Diego skyline. That's really how I, I have to say that. When you can walk into a bar, a, rest, a restaurant, and go into a men's room and look down at a gold leaf wooden and uh, 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 varnished toilet seat that says eat shit on it or shit happens – this is the kind of guy that I want to hang out with. Now, you hear me say that and you think, oh, my God, I would never want to go to a place like that until you go to this place. My buddy's name is Eric Castro, and I'm really excited to have him on the show, um, also known as the Hungry Bartender. Uh, I met Eric a couple of years ago. Um, I was out in San Diego um, after we had met virtually or, or virtually. Did we meet virtually? We met over a podcast that I was doing with my buddy, Russell Davis. Um, and Eric and I, uh, I just really like this guy. I'm really a big fan of his. And I like guys that, that are able to take a vision and turn it into something that you can share with the world. That, to me, is the type of person slash people that I like to hang out with. Okay. So everybody do me a favor real quick. Um, you know, the, the routine here, you want to get the kids out of the room. You want to put the headphones in, just turn it up just a little bit and everybody put your hands together for my buddy, the hungry bartender, Mr. Eric Castro. Undercover brother. What's going on? Oh man. Doing well, brother. Doing well. Awesome. It's good to hear your voice, man. It's been a long time. Yeah. How you been these days, man? Man, you know, I'm just, I, I was sick for a couple days, Eric. I got three days in bed. And I just explained to everybody prior to you getting on that if I were to ever do cocaine, this is what I think I'd feel like. Oh, damn, man. 
I'm on fire. I'm like, I had pineapple for breakfast and I feel like it was, it was cocaine running through my veins. <laughs> so I'm on fire at 1045 in the morning. How are you, dude? I'm doing well, brother. I just got back from Vegas, man. I did, um, I did a couple of guest shifts out there at the new spot on the record. At oh yeah. GM. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, man. So I'm beat just three days in Vegas. Just kicked my ass. Dude, I just booked my trip for eight days in Vegas. Ooh, what you do out there? Uh, I am doing, uh, one, the kitchen and bath industry show. I am a spokesperson for general electric. So I'm going out to cook on their stuff. I do six demos a day on five different pieces of equipment in a 25 minute demo. I cook six dishes. Yeah. It's awesome, dude. And then, uh, then I'm heading out for nightclub and bar in March, man. The big nightclub and bar show. Oh, hell yeah. I'll be there, dude. Oh, good. Oh, awesome, dude. Well, we got to get together. We got to go out. Yeah, hell yeah. Sounds good to me, man. Um, hey, Eric, do me a favor real quick. Why don't you uh, tell us uh, your name, tell us who you are, what you do, and how we can get in contact with you real quick. Okay. My, or Do you want me to talk about bartender at large or my bars? Or just oh, we're, we're, we're going to get into that as well because I started watching that again. So, oh, yeah. uh, I mean, just, you know, I mean, just basically you're Eric Castro, what's your handle on social media and, you know, tell us a little bit of what you do. Yeah, man. Um, the name is Eric Castro. You can find me online at hungry bartender and I'm in the bar biz, man. That's perfect. You're a little bit further in the bar biz than most are though. Yeah. I, li- I like to think so. And I, and I like to think I'm still moving. So, you know, you, you know, my motto, man, stay hungry or be eaten. Dude, I mean, one of the one of the things that I love is, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I love that I have your phone number because I am so proud. You know, you and I met like two years ago. Um, briefly, yeah. you know, we did a podcast together with with Russell, and then I ended up coming out to San Diego. I hung out with you and your bride at at a uh, uh, polite, and I mm-hmm. just, you know, I meet guys like you and 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 I'm proud to say that I know you because I love sending people into your places. Uh, oh, thank you so much. Man. No, I feel the same, brother. I mean, it's just it's so awesome to watch what you guys are doing and the mo and, and the you're literally making a mark on the restaurant industry in San Diego that that because you guys are doing shit that's ballsy, man. Oh, dude, have you seen our new spot raised by it's, wolves? I, I didn't make it into raised by wolves last time I was out there. Oh, dude, uh, we just won it by magazine's uh, cocktail bar of the year. Oh, no, I saw that. I, I think, well, and I hate to tell you, I didn't tag you in it, but I posted it and said, I know this fucking guy. And oh, I dude, loved it. So it's, a, it's a cocktail bar in a mall. Oh, jeez. It's a crazy concept, man. I thought it was insane for doing it. Um, the, I, honestly, man, it was like all the way up until opening. I was like, man, this might be the dumbest thing I've ever done. Or it's like the most <laughs> thing I've ever done. So, what, Luckily, and, and so what's the, the second one? What's the cons? I mean, what's the concept of raised? So it's um it, it's really cool, man, because you don't really see it very often. So it's a boutique bottle shop up front. So we specialize in like hard to find spirits, you know, whiskeys, bar tools, things of that nature. And behind it, we have a full blown like, you know, almost three thousand square feet cocktail bar. Wow. With no food, but just beer, wine, and of course cocktails. Right. And how long has that been open? Since last April. Okay. Yeah, I didn't make it. I was at what's the what's the place with the uh, the toilet seats? <laughs> uh, um, what do you mean toilet seats? The the uh, the to- it says shit happens on the toilet seat. Oh, that's a, um, that's born and raised. That's another concept. That's Dude, a steakhouse. I, I love born that's and raised. Cool, I, right? 
You know what? It's and I don't know. You can you can totally tell me if I'm wrong, but I kind of feel like it is like a '70s porno opened up a bar and just crushed it. Like it's brilliant with, <laughs> with the greens, the brass, the open kitchen, the butcher shop that's in the back right hand corner of it. When you walk in, the gold staircase, that brass kind of wood oh, staircase that goes up top, and then that open air bar on the second floor that overlooks that great section of San Diego. Like you can't beat that. Oh, it's a gorgeous space, man. And then of course there's like photos at Easy E and Tupac and everything all over the place. That's exactly like, right. you the last thing you would expect in the super nice steakhouse. Well, and that's the thing is that then you walk into the restroom and, and I can't remember what it said on the on the door. There was some there's a reference to 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 men and women or something on the door. But then you open it up and you walk into this very kind of gaudy in a way mirrored etched and a toilet seat that says shit happens in gold leaf. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but man, if you like that place, you got to check out uh, Raised by Wolves. Okay. Kind of took that 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 scale and really even stepped it up in regard to like attention to detail. I think so, it was a little bit. Easy. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you you go ahead, man. Oh yeah, raised by wolves. It, it's like the most beautiful project I've ever been involved with, man. We kind of took a little bit of inspiration from in, in our mind rather than what it actually looks like, but we tried to to kind of recreate that you know European hotel cocktail bar experience. Right. Like everything is lavish. Everything's gorgeous. Like we spent a lot of time making sure that every single detail got right. I mean, everybody's talking about it. I just Googled real simple. I just put raised by, and oddly enough, the first thing to come up is wolves. That's because the, they're listening to us talk right now. But, yeah. um, but I mean, everything's in here. You know, I mean, you guys have great ratings across the board for almost everything. I love, look at that ceiling. Oh my God. Oh man. Wait, wait till you see it. Wait till you see the person. <laughs> marble. And it's like, and, and Thankfully, it's like um, you know it, we've been doing gangbusters just since the day we opened. But it's, I, I, you know one of the cool things I really like about the place, and one thing I'm so proud of is like the cocktail menu. I knew since we were doing a concept in an unexpected place, I wanted the cocktails to be unex, like unexpected as well. Where it's like you know most, so often when you go to a cocktail bar, you see you know there's like a spicy tequila drink, you know a rum tropical drink, and then a stirred rye cocktail or something, right? Like, yeah. So. These are conventions and formulas that work, and they work for a reason. But I wanted to, you know, flip those on their head with this place. Like, for instance, our top selling tiki drink is made with white whiskey, right? Like oatmeal whiskey. Our household wow. fashion is made with banana and coconut. Wow, you know, dude. I really wanted to kind of just flip all these ideas on their head. Like, we have a cocktail with um, horchata made with uh, jasmine rice and red cargo rice, and it's made with Irish whiskey. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's on well, tap, and it's just like, you really wanted to flip everything on its head. I mean, at what, I mean, are you guys, I mean, what, what is your, what is your process at this point for, for putting concepts together? I mean, are you guys sitting around a room, are you just kind of concocting things in your head and saying, this is something that I, I mean, I know my creative process for things, like I coddle them a little bit. I, I yeah. kind of build them, I spin them, I turn them, I look at them at different angles, um, you know, when I do restaurants and all that stuff, or when I do consulting, especially when a client comes to me and says, this is what we want to do. Okay, great. You want to open an Irish pub? That's awesome. Let's get a set of balls now. You know, like, yeah, I guess the way we look at it is rather than like, what do I want? You know, we, we instead try to do what does this neighborhood need? What is this neighborhood missing? And, and, and then try to do the absolute best project we could do within those parameters. Because I feel like 
a lot of times it's easy to be selfish and be like, oh, I'm going to do what I want. This neighborhood just needs to catch up, right? right. And that doesn't mean, you, you know, you, that we're not ambitious about it, but, you know, we looked at it and we're like, okay, what, what could we do in this neighborhood? What does this neighborhood really need? You know, that's how we did with, for instance, Polite Provisions, my other spot here in North Park, uh, San Diego. We're like, okay, this place needs like a neighborhood watering hole, you know, but and that's what it needs. But we're like, but, you know, we don't want to aim that low. We want to do, we want to create the best cocktails we can, you know. And I feel like what happens is a lot of times restaurateurs and bar owners, they end up competing with the neighborhood, yeah. which I think is a bad, is a bad move because that's aiming low. I you agree. know, I say as long as, like, know what your identity is and what you want to be and then try to be the best in the world. And when as I, long as you're competing with the best in the world, you're going to end up with amazing concept. What ends up happening is when you try to compete with the bar across the street, like you're aiming so low, who gives a shit? Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I say it to all the time with, with clients when I get involved with them, because, you know, a lot of times when I start talking with clients, they come to me and say, well, we've done our demographic research. We have six Irish pubs or whatever. I just keep saying Irish pub because it's just an easy one. You know, we've got six dive bars around us and this guy's selling this and this guy's selling this. So we want to do this. We want to, we want to, we want to be right in the middle of the road. And I'm like, why do you want to be in the middle of the road? Why do you want to do the yeah. same thing that everybody else is doing? Like, there's nothing wrong with having a chicken finger on your menu. Just make it mm. the greatest fucking chicken finger that's out there. Do something yeah. different. Do something that's going to raise eyes that people are going to go, wow, I, I never thought about that. You know? Yeah. Exactly. And that's what I see that you guys do. I mean, you guys really do look at that location in that area. I mean, you know, I mean, I love polite. I think it's a great place. I love, I love the back bar with the way that you guys do it. I like the walkthrough that goes on the other side. Geez, people are going to think I live in San Diego, dude. But in reality, yeah. I go out there and I just go to your places. But, um, and you know, I have very dear friends that are out there all the time. My friend Diane, who, um, you know, who I, who I, I we dated for a while. She loves all your spots, and she's a forty. Two-year-old woman with a little bit of expendable cash, but she goes to your places and she dresses up because she feels like she has to. You know, it evokes oh, this yeah. this world of I'm feeling classy. I need to I need to look the part. Now I'm just a schlub. I walk in and you know shell tops and and a t-shirt, but I appreciate your places. <laughs> I just don't put the tie on. Um, yeah, but no, but you know we want to make sure everyone feels comfortable. And this is San Diego, so you know you can't have it too fancy. But you can still create an elevated experience without people having to feel like they have to dress up. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, it's just, for. I mean, I sat, you know, I mean, I sat upstairs, um, and, and just, you know, overlooked everything and, and looked outside and the whole back bar and the way it's put together, your bartenders that are in white coats and the one guy's got shorts and chucks on like that is that, that, that's a classic steakhouse with, 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 you know, with some rules that are saying, be yourself, be flair, have fun. You know I mean? Yeah, and you're, yeah. I, I mean, all your bartenders that are back there, you can just feel the, I talk a tremendous amount about the education. You can sit back as an operator and talk about upselling all day long, but without education, you're upselling nothing. 
because you don't really truly know what it is that you're selling. And I say it's the same as working at a car dealership. If you're the first week in a car dealership and you walk in and you don't know anything about Benz's, you're going to start selling the Hondas because you feel comfortable with that because you're educated about that. It's going to take time to move into being able to sell that Benz so that you can really start get that six, $700 payment coming through or whatever it is. The same goes with our staff. The more educated they are, the more empowered they are to get out there and sell. We don't have to babysit them. We don't yeah. have to coddle them along and pat them on the butt every time that they do something nice because they're being rewarded through that tip. They're being rewarded through that perfect service period that they just walk through. And I find a lot of that in your places. And especially as I was going up into Northern California, I was finding a lot more of that as well. You know, Midwest, we're still missing the boat a little bit. I don't see it as much. I don't think that they're they're, they're, and Midwest, don't get angry at me. I still love you guys, but um, no, I know what you mean. Where I feel like it's important to manage a place with a, you know, an aspect of positive reinforcement, where the staff eventually be, become self motivated and start to do a better job on their own. And they're not doing it because they think they're going to get in trouble, but they're doing it because they have a passion for what they're doing and they care about it sincerely. And the, the trick is, it can be really hard to find those people, yeah. but when you do you need to create an environment that makes them want to stay that way. You don't have to spend so much money on recruiting, but rather by creating an environment where people want to work, especially in this approach. People try to approach my staff all the time. Like I'm sure they do. It's a constant thing. And I'm just like, you know, they, they might get offered more money. They may get offered more, you know, better shifts or something. But the thing is, they're never going to replicate our work environment. Well, and in this, in this day and age, it's so, you know, it's not just about the fact that they have a job, you know, 15 years ago, you were happy that you got a job working in a really cool bar, but now we, as, as employers and, and entrepreneurs and everything else, we, we need to, we need to engage our staff. We've got to keep them we've got to keep that focus. You know, I mean, otherwise they lose interest and they go, they'll, they'll hop out for an extra quarter, an hour, or they'll hop out to the newest, hottest place. Yeah, 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 you see that a lot, or you don't see that as much now, but you used to see that a lot. I feel like people would hop from, like, new nightclub to new nightclub, a new restaurant, and it's like they would stick around six months at each place during the, the, the phase when it's the super hot spot, and then you just go to the next place. And they don't really, there's not a cohesive philosophy that's driving them, but rather than just, like, you know, keep juice in the new place. Which right. is why there's a book I really advocate. It's not necessarily written for restaurateurs and bar owners, but it. it applies 100%. It's called Creativity Inc. It's written by Ed Catmull, one of the uh, founders of Pixar. Okay. This book is all about managing creatives. Really? And I feel like anyone who's working in, you know, the um, farm-to-table industry needs to read it because managing, you know, a skilled chef or managing, you know, a skilled craft bartender is so much more than just managing somebody who's working in just, you know, a turn and burn retail location or like a fast food restaurant. It's just, it's just a different beast. So you need to be able to like hone in on these people, find them, like nurture their talent so that they, you're getting the most out of them and also so that they never want to leave. Right. Well, I just ordered it just so you know, Oh, it's amazing. and I'm having it shipped to my hotel in Boston. Cause that's where I'm going to be this week. But, um, it, uh, I find, you know, one of the things that I see, uh, with with opening restaurants and doing all that stuff is the amount of time and money that goes into training and then but the funny part about it is really the lack of focus that I see a lot of people are spending a lot of money on marketing they're spending a lot of money to get the product in and do everything else but they're not really focusing 
on the importance of the training. What what are you nope. guys doing with so many different concepts to keep to to tr- what is your what's your kind of what are you guys doing to train your staff right up front? Not only are you training them on what to do and how to do it, you're training them on a culture as well. What are you guys doing to 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 get that point across? Well, sure. I'm lucky because I'm only involved with uh, a few of the properties. Okay. So I'm, I'm a Boilermaker raised by Wilson Ply Provisions, which I feel like I'm, three is more than enough for me right now. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and I'm, I'm very fortunate in that. There Are there more projects in the pipeline? Possibly. Who knows? But I will tell you that um, it's very important to instill a culture in them. And honestly, I would say a large part of it is – actually, I could break it down into three things, really finding the right people and hiring the right people, um, training them very well, and then giving them an infrastructure or a system to operate in. Because I find what ends up happening is if you, if you find yourself constantly micromanaging people, it's because you messed up one of those three things. Right. And it's not your employee's fault if you have to micromanage them. It's your fault. Sure. Because that means you're hiring the wrong people, you're not training them right, or you know, you're not giving them a, a system to operate in. The reason why... I put so much emphasis on the system to operate in is because you don't have to manage them anymore. They manage themselves. Right. Like once they have a system and infrastructure to operate in. So I find by, by hiring the, the, you know, the best people and doing everything I can to make them as productive and creative as possible, they end up wanting to stick around because no one else will take that time with them. And the things I do like that is our staff is required to write book reports. Um, they have to come to trainings. They, um, you know, we have like mandatory R&D sessions where, you know, we have one coming up next week where the staff has to submit cocktails for the spring menu. Wow. Like required. Sure. And, and then we legit, we do these extended R&D sessions where, um, where we all get together and we taste drinks. And I feel like the idea isn't to, to like, you know, create a rigorous environment for the sake of that. Cause I feel like our system is very fair. Right. want to be very fair. And I feel like, you can ask a lot of your staff and be very demanding as long as they feel like you're not doing it to be mean, but you're doing it to improve them and improve yeah. their skill set. Sure. So by doing that, you no, know, I can be, we can have a rigorous program, but they always feel that it's fair. No one ever feels picked on. Right. So, you know, there's something about someone bringing a cocktail that is really good to an R and D session. And then two hours later, they leave with a cocktail that's phenomenal. Yeah. And like, you can't put a price tag on that. It's just about having like three or four really good palates sitting around and workshopping a drink. I do do that long. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you got, you finish up, man. Yours is your, go ahead. And there's something that, yeah, like no other employer is going to be able to replicate that. I mean, there are some other places, but essentially they're probably going to have to move from the state. Well, it's you're really digging into into the pool of what you have. You spent all that time interviewing, hiring, coddling, bringing them on board, training them and putting them together. And then just to put them into a robotic situation, you're just going to lose that staff. Um, yeah, I do, they're not going to stick around. Right. Exactly. Then they're just going to hop. I mean, it's it's you know, I mean, and, and people, you know, they say that people don't quit jobs. They quit people. 
Um, yeah. You know, I, you know, I mean, you're, you're not getting engaged or you're not getting educated or you're not feeling like you're empowered when you're working. And, you know, especially in this day and age, I mean, people get upset real fast. And I do I do a lot of creative sessions with kitchens. So I have I have people all over the country who will hire me and say, hey, I want you to come down and hang out with my kitchen staff. You know, I want to see what's going wrong in the kitchen. And one of the first things that I do is say, OK, we're going to do it over a two day period. Day one, we're just going to sit and talk about food. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go around and we're going to try stuff. I just did one in Fort Myers, Florida, where I took four of the guys in the kitchen out and we went to some of these awesome little taco shops. You know, we went to Restaurant Depot. You know, we went to a couple of different yeah. high end markets and stuff. And I say, just pick out stuff that you guys want to play with. You know, let's go mm-hmm. back to the kitchen this afternoon. And so you've never you've never broken down a whole pork loin. OK, awesome. Let me show you how to do it. Let me show you a couple of different ways. Now you guys make something, you know, and, and we find that by doing that, you're, these guys are so engaged in creating new menu items, coming up with new features that that it, yeah. it gets to become a competition amongst the staff. My features made it this week. You know, I never run specials. I always run features. Specials in my mind are things that we discount and that we're trying to get rid of. Features are focuses. These are things that we yeah. are, we're proud of. We want you to try this. And that's the way, you know, and that's that empowerment to, to have that creativity session or that R&D with you guys, it, you're pulling your staff. You just They just bought back into the program. You got them to drink the Kool-Aid again, you know, which is yeah, a horrible exactly. term, but it's the truth. They, 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 they love you again. Yeah, and then you're, you're helping them be the, the best like chef or the best bartender that they can be. And yeah. it's not me that's doing that. It's not their coworkers. It's like all of us is a combined unit that are trying to bring out the best of everyone because we all want our menu to be as strong as possible. Yeah. And especially in this day and age, I mean, it's, you know, there, there's Philadelphia 25 years ago had 900 restaurants. We have 9,500. Oh my God. That's insane. You know, what are you doing different? What you're pulling from the same labor pool. We're all trying to get the same group of people to come in, whether we're at the Palm or, you know, we're at McGillan's old ale house, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, we're, we're really trying to get a quality employee. So what are you got? You know, that's the thing is what are we doing differently to pull the people in? So um, what are you, what do you, are you seeing a difference in, I mean, cause you're West coast, you're by coast. You've got a place in New York and a place in San Diego. Are, yeah, two in San Diego. are you, or two in San Diego? Are you, what do you got? Are you seeing a difference in your employees coast to coast or are you hiring just that such a high quality or a high caliber of mixologist that, that it's, you're not seeing a big difference between the two? No, not really. We're not seeing too, too big of a difference. I know a lot of times people are having a hard time positions right now just because uh, the labor pool isn't big enough right. uh, for the caliber talk to a lot of people want to serve but we've been really fortunate in the fact that we have very little turnover yeah. so if you ever have turnover it is hard to find somebody but generally we try to recruit from within so we build up our talent so you know we're lucky with, with having almost almost non-existent turnover we're very lucky with in, in that now, how how are you? How are you feeling, or how are you feeling a pinch at all with the with the new um, minimum wage and the tip credit and all the other stuff? Or you guys aren't even really feeling it because you guys are a higher end. Your bartenders are making bank. You guys are not having to worry about that issue at all. Uh, I'd say it hasn't really been an issue. You know, it hasn't really affected us too much. Um, we, you know, obviously we, you, you kind of adjust pricing little by little over the years, but right. we try to avoid doing any like large jumps in prices. So luckily we've been able to avoid doing that because, you know, we understand sticker shock is a real thing. 
Yeah. So we've been really blessed aspect that we haven't really had to, um, you know, deal too harshly with that. But I think it's going to make a major impact into the back of house where, you know, your nine, 10, 11, $12 an hour guys are now getting guys and girls. Everybody, um, are now getting, you know, they're now getting 15 an hour. You know I mean? That, that yeah. rate is, is going dramatically. And I mean, I'm still trying to look at it as how are we going to justify for that? You know I mean? Am I going to have a burger now that's $19? you know, instead of a $10 burger, because I've got to pay for that much more labor that's coming into it. So, um, I'm going to say a little controversial right now. And I know a lot of people might disagree very aggressively, but it, but it's a fact and I don't care what anyone says. I don't think that food is expensive enough. I agree. And I think at like a lot of high end restaurants, you're getting a lot of people who are getting involved with the hospitality industry. That's don't know how to use like an Excel costing sheet. Right. They don't know how to price things. And they, sure. they're, they're trying to compete with, with cheaper product in the same price category. Like yep. there's a place up the street that's just using, you know, frozen fries and they're selling them for, I don't know, three or four bucks. And then meanwhile, the place across the street is, is doing everything fresh, everything from scratch, but they're still trying to be in the same price category as the place across the street. And I well, think that customers today need to understand that that good good food costs money, yes. so it, it's important to not think that you know the the place that's made with you know bur- burgers that are made with you know local bread and, and local cheese and meat that burger is going to cost more than you know something from just a little fast food joint. Well, and there's there's needs to be an education as well to the guest about yeah. about what it is that we're doing. You know, I'm not I, I can't stand when I walk into a place they say, well, let me walk you through the menu. Okay, well, let me take a look at the menu first, and if I need walking through, then we can discuss it. You know, if you're verbing yeah. your menu the right way, if you're marketing your property in the right place, and even if you're greeting that initial thirty seconds of walk up, hey, just so you guys know, we're a farm to table restaurant. Everything that we get is within forty five miles or seventy five miles of where we are. We buy the absolute best product that we can and that's going to be reflected on the menu please feel free to take a look if you have any questions like those are the types of things that set somebody so far apart and then what i see is places that try to open like this they're not educating their staff enough about their concept they're not educating their guest enough about their concept and then they are then they're ending up in the in the three dollar side range you know because now they're just trying to compete with everybody else who's around them and people don't want to pay that extra price tag because they don't know. They don't yeah. know. They think they're getting ripped off as opposed to they're getting, you know, carrots from like a local farmer yeah. and, you know, meat that's from a local ranch where it's just, it's going to taste better. But if the staff isn't communicating that, then the customer is not going to understand, you know, what to deal with the price range is. Sure. Exactly. And I mean, we also as, I mean, look, we can go super, super deep into this, but we also as, as consumers, we need to be educated a lot more, man. You know, the, yeah. the idea why nobody questions that I can buy 10 chicken nuggets for 99 cents just shocks me. I know, right? I, I, it just doesn't make so sense. Like, well, the social cost involved with that is ridiculous. Yeah. Like I, mean, well, when I and, see that, it makes me think how, what, how are these chickens being fed? At what caliber is this meat? Exactly. Um, how little are the employees being paid? Like how shitty is this chicken? Exactly. If it is, I mean, being raised by that. Well, look at what happened with Taco Bell a couple of years ago. Taco Bell was, was ostracized, ripped apart because of the fact that they used a product that they put into their ground beef called wheat tex. 
Okay. So Wheatex was is a is a a ground beef substitute in a way because it has a mouthfeel, a texture, the whole nine yards of a ground beef. So whatever their mix was, 80-20, 80% beef to 20% Wheatex, and everybody shunned them. You guys are it's the worst thing that's ever done. Taco Bell came back with a massive marketing campaign. They did an amazing job kind of cleaning up from that. And now we have a product called the Impossible Burger, which is basically the same fucking thing. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> It's all a genetically modified piece of, of, of protein that we're putting out that is plant-based, which I love. It's good. It's great. And it makes people happy. But, but marketed that. But exactly. You know, so we, you know, we were bitching and moaning because somebody put that into our product. And then some dude was sitting in his house going, oh, wait a second. You mean I can form that into a burger and make it look like a burger? Great. Let me charge $7 a piece for it and I'll sell it to everybody out there. Um you know, we're just not oh, educated I've been for years. I've been saying for years that if McDonald's ever wants to rebound and get back the ground, they lost. All they have to do is get vegan nuggets on the menu and um, LaCroix. That's vegan exactly. LaCroix yeah. And maybe on like tap. a vegan burger. Oh my God. They, they would, they would kill it. They'd get back all their market share. They lost because they're losing all like the hipster millennials. Sure. Dude. Absolutely. Well, I mean, but yeah, why LaCroix and vegan nuggets? I mean, look, I'm a checkers guy across the board. I'm a checkers guy. So yeah. I, I I don't know if you guys have checkers out there. I was out. I had my in and outs no. last week, and I was like, eh, you know, I think I want a checkers. So, um, I've never so, been to checkers. What's checkers? So checkers is a little bit more of an urban uh, restaurant group. Okay. So they're, I'll tell you what, man. They've got a burger called the Big Buford, and it's just a great burger. It's a great burger. They've got seasoned fries that they put out that are always hot. They're always crispy. They do a real nice job. They put a nice burger together. It's 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 in most of the ones, especially like we have two in Philly, I think, and they're in they're in more of the hood. You know, I mean, that's just where they are. Um, well, I've never been there, but I've seen it when I travel. I've seen it. You got to stop in and have a big Buford. It's a good burger. Okay, we'll it, it's a good burger. I'm not going to lie. Speaking of regional chains, man, there's one chain that I fell in love with when I was in the South, uh, maybe about four years ago, and I wish we had me California, the Bojangles. Oh, dude, you can't beat them. They're great. Dude, Bojangles is incredible. It's so good. Yeah. Plus, they, they got have cheer wine. They have cheer wine. On, on the draft mountains. <laughs> They're so good. And I'm like, how the hell is this not in California? <laughs> dude, I've got a restaurant in North Carolina that's called Uncle Buzzy's, and it's a, it's a concept property right now where we're really just testing. It's a testing ground for what we're going to move it into in the future. And a couple of weeks ago, um, look, I'm, I'm a Northern boy. I'm from Philadelphia. You know, I'm an East coast guy. I'm not a Southern dude. I love my North Carolina. I vacation in the Carolinas. I love it down there. I'm not a cheer wine guy. So my partner looks at me and he's like, Bri, can you do me a favor? Just, just play around. So I taste the cheer wine. I made this badass burrito that I did a cheer wine batter for. Oh, that man, I'm not kidding. It. Eric, I'm I'm telling you, it was it was this beautiful burrito, completely stunning on the inside, great meats, great cheese, great tortilla, and I dipped the whole thing in a cheer wine and sprite batter. And it was awesome. <laughs> And it was awesome. We topped it off with a little bit of a chipotle aioli, a little bit of a pico over top of it. It was super stupid, but it was one of the number one selling features that we had run over the last couple of weeks. And I'm actually going to run it again next week because the cheer wine batter is just fun. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Cheer wine. You, you got to make a cocktail like a cheer wine. Cherry Dr. Pepper type yeah. of flavor. Exactly right. Oh, it's, it's like a cherry Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Huh. 
It's weird. So what's so what's going on next? What's your what's your next couple plans? Shoot, I don't know, man. I guess I, I'm just I'm really just focusing on kind of like dialing in the spots, you know, kind of just continue to improve them. Uh, we're working on some summer menus. Uh, Boilermaker gets close to its five year anniversary. Wow. So so yeah, we're we're working on a really big like menu launch for that, which I'm really excited about. Oh, yeah, cool. man. I guess I'm just gonna kind of just focus in and just hone in on what we're doing and just continue to improve because I'm telling you, man, like I always say, it's like stay hungry or be eaten. So we have to understand that we're chasing a moving target. Yeah. Every day. So it's like every day that we're improving, the competition's trying to catch up. And as soon as you lose sight of that, 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 that's, that's when you fall behind. As soon as you you get too comfortable where you're at and you, you think you won all these awards and all these accolades and you can finally just like stop and catch your breath. You know, you fall in that, that mentality a little bit too long, dude, and you get you fall behind. Yeah, quick. I mean, they, they swallow you up. Yeah, it's the nature of the beast, man. And yeah. you know that, but it's, I, I love it because the the people who benefit the most are the consumers, our guests. You know, they're always getting the best product, and and it, it's it's improving across the board. Yeah. Um, let's talk about bartender at large. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> Oh man, bartender large is it, it, something that's really special to me, and I'm really glad that that it came about. So it's essentially our podcast. Um, I have a podcast that comes out new episodes every Monday, and what I try to do is just focus on the community. And I found by having like a very narrow focus, it's just like the, the, the podcast is for the career bartender, essentially, you know, for bar owners, bar managers, things of that nature. Um, and because of that, it allows us to get really deep into topics, um, you know, at, at a, at a much deeper level than just, you know, pedestrian chit chat. Sure. So my focus is just like, you know, we, like for instance, this week's episode is about R and D sessions. How do you run a, you know, a, a productive and creative R and D session? That's something that a lot of people weren't trained on. They weren't really taught how to do it. So we could just, I mean, I lay it all out there. I'd lay out yeah. everything, how we run our, how we run our sessions and all the tips and, and guidelines that, that we used to operate them. So I feel like uh, um, it allows us to get really, really deep and really nerdy and just kind of add value to the bartender. So it's every week is different. Sometimes we talk about Irish whiskey. Sometimes we talk about, you know, cocktail development. Sometimes we talk to, you know, a producer of aromatized wines. So it's always a little bit different. It always goes in a different directions, but I feel like the, the caliber of topics we can hit can be so much bigger. And honestly, like the podcast has been growing like 10% every month. Uh, awesome. We just got uh, nominated for a spirit award at Taylor the cocktail. Wow. And we also won. Uh, we also just won it best industry podcast at nightclub bar, which Dude, is, is something that, 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 you know, blows our mind. We're, we're just super impressed with the love and the allocates we, we get from it. And honestly, we do it for the love. There's not, you know, you know, like I know, man, there's no money in podcasting, but <laughs> it's just something that, that we really care about. And right. we're fortunate we get to, you know, we get to, we get to share our knowledge. How, how many episodes in are you guys? I think 130. Jesus, dude. I had no idea you were doing it that long. Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty deep into it, man. It it used to be uh, on YouTube, like a YouTube thing, but now it's, it's almost, it's just not almost now it's just all audio. You know, we kind of found that the, all, all like the, you know, the younger bartenders were just all tuning in on their way to, on the way to work, on the sure. commute to work while they were setting up. So we, we focused on just all the audio. So, you know, it's like iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, Spotify, anything you could think of with audio, you'll, you'll find us. Right. 
We, uh, I, I'm a huge podcast guy now. I mean, I don't, I, to the point that I almost, I don't listen to music in a car mm-hmm. when I, when I drive, like uh, I take, I take a couple times a year where I'll do like some road trip stuff with clients. I'll go and, you know, I'll drive from Philadelphia to, to Pittsburgh, to West Virginia, to Ohio and back across and do all that. Um, when I work, I'm like a super, when I'm on a plane, I'm like a machine. I've got Metallica in and I'm just banging workout, replying to emails, exactly. writing recipes, doing whatever it is. But then as soon as I get that downtime, it's like, okay, let me pop a podcast in. Let me listen to this stuff because it's, it's, it is, it's an educational forum that you can kind of doze in and out of in a way, but you're pulling a whole bunch of information out of. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I do I do a lot of Joe Rogan. I love Joe Rogan. Um, his interview yeah, style is, is really good. Dude, he's like the number one dude around for doing it, making yeah. making bank when he's doing it. And his interviews are great. For like eight years or something. Yeah, he, dude, he's got a crazy studio. Apparently, he's got a he's got a sauna in his studio, so That's you can like crazy. go in and do it. And then uh, they always booze. They just did their, I just, just listened to his sober October one in November when Burt Kreischer, Bill Burr, I think it was all those guys like came out of their sober month and they were just smoking weed and drinking in the podcast. Um, but his, I mean, he's done some great interviews. I mean, his one with Roseanne Barr, she's nutty, but you know, she's nutty. You know, Macaulay Culkin, Macaulay Culkin was a great interview. If you get a chance to listen to that one, I'd love to check that out, man. He was a really, really good interview just because, you know what? Everybody heard all they ever heard was what a fucking weirdo he was. But yeah. he's actually a pretty normal dude. And he's like, I don't ever have to work again. Um, this is what I'm doing. He's starting a podcast as well, or he has a podcast as well. It's a great outlet. So I'm a big fan of it. But yeah, I, um, I think, you know, on the whole, I think podcasting has just done so much good for the community because. You know, we, we kind of, there, there, before this, there were gatekeepers that kind of yeah. kept people out of, of so you know, kind of spreading the word on what they were doing. I guess unless you were on hand radio or something, you really couldn't get the word out there. And I feel like something like, especially like with Bartender or Large, you know, our audience is so niche. It's like a segment within a segment within a segment right. that, you know, could never have had an outlet for this before. You know I mean? Right. We talk about Vermouth and like how to create cocktail menus, you know? It's a smaller demographic, but it's a passionate demographic that really cares about what they're doing. So I think, it, you know, one of the things that we're so fortunate for is like, man, we'll get fan mail from, um, you know, words of encouragement from our, our listeners around the world, which is super fascinating. Like someone in Sweden, right, will will live up in the sticks, right? They're not like in the in the capital. Right. So they're like, oh, my God. It's like, you know, I run a cocktail program in this small town. You know, it's like, you know... Um, it's not super big. We're only like one of two or three cocktail bars here. And I listened to your episode on how to do a menu and, Oh my God, you made our life so much easier. That's you know, awesome. we got so much good advice. And that to me is so rewarding. Yeah. That's something I love. And it's, you know, because I feel like if you're in the bigger cities, it's, it's easy to kind of rely on, on, um, you know, other resources and find a mentor. But sometimes even in the big cities, man, sometimes you don't know who to reach out to for advice. Right. So it's, it's really nice to, um, to be able to rely on people out there who've gone through the same thing already. And, and absolutely it, it's flat out. The podcast is not about me. The podcast is about our community. It's about the guests that I bring on the show. Right. It's fascinating. I mean, I love doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I do as well, man. I mean, I, to me, it's all about the interesting people that I get to meet that I think that other people would be interested in hearing. That's yeah, exactly. It, that's it. 
I mean, I, and I, and we, you know, I don't really stick to one genre with what we do. I mean, last week I talked to, you know, Adam Keys, who's a triple amputee who just climbed uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. You know, oh, I, I, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Adam is a rock star. He was my second. He was the second time on the show. He was on prior to him climbing, and then he was on after he climbed. Which the craziest part that I just found out last week while I was talking to him, after he climbed Kilimanjaro, he then rode. He hand cycled the New York City Marathon and the Chicago Marathon, like like six days later. Um, you know, and I mean, and and he's a stand up comedian. At the same That's time, amazing. he was, yeah, and he's just a brilliant dude. He was, you know, he was, he was in an IED um, incident in Afghanistan. Four of his buddies in his Humvee all perished, and he's the only surviving guy. When he climbed Kilimanjaro, he did it with uh, twenty-two guides, and he climbed on eleven-inch prosthetic legs, and he brought a, a certain amount of stuff up with him. Five of them were flags for each person that perished or four were flags for each guy that perished in his, in his Humvee. Like a really, yeah. really good dude, really good dude. So, I and then that I level of drive, man. Yeah. And then I'm, you know, I have 102 fever and I laid up for three days, like a lazy fuck. I know. <laughs> it's like, well, it's so it? easy to fall into that mentality of feeling bad for yourself and just throwing yes. yourself a pity party because it feels good. It's like indulgent. And yeah. it's important to read and, and learn about people like this because, you know, so much of what we say is impossible or I can't do this or it's out of my reach. It's, it's bullshit. It's just a fairy tale that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel good about, you know, sitting on the couch and eating Cheetos. I agree. I totally agree. That's exactly right. And then there's and, – and, and the more you look at it, the more I think it does kind of invigorate or give a little bit of a push – to somebody who might not have normally do it. You know I mean? Not only that, we're adults, man. For us to bitch and complain yeah. about our lives, this is our life. We made this choice. Don't, talk, don't bitch to me about it. Plus, there's never been an easier time to be alive than today. Oh, my God. It's the best. I don't know. Some, I, you just told me about a book, and I not only ordered the book while I was talking to you, I shipped it to my hotel. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Okay, oh, so you're like, love it. You're gonna love that book. I'm so. I just my goal for this year. I need to read more, and I don't mean yeah. look at the news. I need to read more. I need to get more. I need to get lost in a literary world as opposed to the electronic world, which is where I've been for the last five, six, seven years. Oh, it's easy to get sucked into it, man, because it's that instant gratification. Sure. You post a picture. How many people like it? Check it three minutes later. How many people like it? Check it three minutes later. How many? I mean, it's it's bad. It's really bad. Yeah, there's something about it that I feel can be poisonous. There's something about it that's very nice where it's so instantaneous, but you have to keep it in like a in a little box. Yeah, I'm even at that point now where I'm tempted to get like another phone that has like nothing on it except like you know my rideshare app. Oh yeah. Oh, I love it. Like Luke. nobody has that number except like my GMs. Yeah, my exactly. And, like, um, and it's just like, don't call me because I want to be able to get back to having a life where no one can get a hold of me. There's something very relaxing about that because I feel like you need to get into a contemplative state to stay creative. And there's something very poisonous about people constantly snapping you out of that. Right. I agree. I you agree. Know, I You're be able to. You know, if I'm writing something, if I'm working on writing a blog post or I'm doing a menu and I thought, yeah, I feel like, you know, what's that? The science says it takes something like 20 minutes to get into like a, a deep creative state. And it's like, as you're working, you're constantly getting these texts like every, you know, five, 10 minutes that are snapping you out of that. Yeah. So I'd like to get into a, 
into like almost be able to leave my house without anyone being able to like bother me. I bought an Apple Watch and I I dread it because I'm like I can't even walk away from my phone now because <laughs> now it's on my wrist. You know, like I'm taking the trash out last night and a buddy of mine calls me and like you know I was in the middle of taking the trash out, so now it's a 20 minute project for me to just take the trash out because I lost focus of what I was doing. You know, my, I woke up this yeah, morning and my daughter's like. My, my daughter's like, Dad, you didn't put a trash bag back in the trash can. You always tell me that I have to put it. And I'm like, ah, shit, you're right. Because I lost my train of thought. I forgot where I was for a moment and what my job was because I was I talking like into my of, wrist. Yeah. Some of the best ideas we have come from that, that point. when I want to say when you get bored or when you get restless, but it's more of like having a contemplative state. So yeah. It's just like, you know, you remember back in the day when you were headed from like, I don't know, you're headed from JFK to your hotel. And you're you're in a taxi, yeah. Before rideshare, you know, you don't have a phone, you don't have anything. You're sitting there looking out the window for an hour, forty five minutes. You see shit, and you start getting these really good ideas. Yeah, because I'm, actually, you're almost you start to approach like a meditative state, and you know you start to get these really good ideas, and 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 you're problem solving without realizing it. But I feel like now you'll just be on Twitter for an hour. Or oh my god, yeah, and yeah, <clears throat> it's like preventing you from from reaching that state. And I'm not one of people who's like, oh, smartphones are evil. I'm not trying to say that. But there is something nice about being able to snap out of that, that, that world of instant gratification and into a contemplative state. I was driving from Ojai, California last week down to L.A. And I had my nephews in the back of the car with me and my 17-year-old daughter in the front seat of the car with me. And my nephew kept saying, Emily, can I have your phone? I want to do Snapchat. I want to do Snapchat. I want to do Snapchat. And she was like, I, 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 whatever, I'm, uh, you can't have it right now. I'm doing something. And the kid sat back and he's a great kid. And he's, he's a very creative kid. I'm not trying to put him into this, this lazy kid world because that's not him at all. But he sat back down for an hour and 25-minute ride. And I heard him say, I'm so bored. And I, and I literally, I was like, all right, well, here's what we do. This is what we do when we're in the car. We do the alphabet game where you, you know, you need to find a letter. It's a number, the first letter of any word, blah, blah, blah. Everybody has to do it all the way through. Well, this kid had more goddamn fun trying to find a cue, you know, on, on yeah. the 405 or on the 10 running out of Ohio. Like he really started to get into it. And, and I, and at one point I picked up my phone and he's like, uncle Brian, please put your phone down. And I was like, you're fucking right. My phone's going down. Yeah. And, and it was, we, uh, we all engaged, we laughed, we joked around. I was at the bar the other night with friends of mine, my two, my, my partner and his wife. And we sat down and, and, and I came up with a new product. You know, because we were just talking about yeah. needs for things that are out there that if we were sitting there texting on our phones, that never would have happened. Oh, 100 percent, man. 100 percent. It, it's you about know. getting your mind in that creative state again. Yes. Where, where it, you're getting in the world that's a little more visceral, a little more uh, tangible. Yeah. And it, it, it's something that you can't really like you can't fast track it. You, you can't you can't streamline that. It's just, you, you know, there's something about. I guess here's what I'm saying. It's like when you're working with coworkers, right? It's a new team. You can't really streamline that. You can't get everybody to be friends and, and right. get to know each other quick. You have to, you have to do your reps. You got to get your reps in with everybody. Yeah. And you can't accelerate that. So it's like, really, there's something that that's very special about, you know, playing a game with your nephew. Yeah, it is. You couldn't, you, 
speed that up. You couldn't be like, okay, well, let's get this game done 30 seconds. So I want to get back on Instagram. No, but there's something about that, that tangible interaction that, that can't be cheated. Yeah. We don't no, 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 We don't know. Nobody really pays attention to anybody. You know, how many conversations have you had with somebody and then you start talking and they're actually picking their phone up and they're looking at Snapchat or at their text message while you're talking to them, yeah. while you're talking to them, like you're so unimportant with what you have to say that I want to see if there's anything else better that's going on. And, and as I'm saying this to you, I'm actually I'm, I'm, I'm putting it into my brain because I, I do that. Yeah, I do it. Shoot. One thing I've been trying to make a point of uh, lately that I feel like so much more important to do is I've been calling people. I love a call, dude. I love a call. And, and, you know, I started to realize I started to become like phone call averse and I didn't realize why I just all of a sudden be like, Oh, just text me. Just text me. Yeah. And I realized like that is deeply unhealthy and really shitty of me to do. So I started finding, I'm like, instead of just texting somebody, you know, texting somebody, 50 times on back and forth on something. Why not just call them and just get it out of the way and just have a quick chat. And I find that you end up like fostering a deeper communication with people in these deeper relationships. Sure. By actually having a proper chat and it rather than just like, Oh, you know, just texting somebody. Well, there's also tone and there's context and there's, you know, there's a different, there's a difference between a really heartfelt belly laugh and an LOL. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I have a very good friend of mine who, you, you know, her and I were texting last night. We haven't talked to each other in a while. And we were texting back and forth for what probably was 30 minutes. And then I just picked up the phone and I hit audio and I called her. And I was like, what the fuck are we doing? We just, yeah, we just spent 30 minutes. Look at how much more fun we're going to have right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at us. Here and we are. We're not texting. You're like fostering a relationship. Oh, no way. Right? No. There is. I feel like what's happening is that a lot of times I think people are starting to feel more isolated and they're starting to feel lonely, even though they're interacting with everyone around them on social media, but they don't understand why. And I think um, humans are naturally social creatures Yeah, and it's embedded in in our humanity and embedded in our psychological and mental states. And I think we ignore that at our peril Yeah, and that anytime you stray away from that, you're going to suffer consequences. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's something that humans need to remember that we're just, we're social animals. And I use the word animal on purpose because we are animals. Right. And it's something that, that we, we need to get in tune with and it's something that we need to focus on. Otherwise, we're going to end up, we're going to continue down this path where people just end up more unhappy yeah. and, and acting shocked as to why that's the case. We do, my girls, my daughters and I, we go out to dinner, we play, uh, have you ever played to get heads up? Yeah, just, I haven't played that a long time. We, we play it all the time because you know what? It's we're we're engaging each other, but there's still a kind of an electronic world within that. I'm not just saying how was school today, you know. I, I'm just I'm not doing that. We're engaging, we're laughing, we're kind of having fun with it, and and at the same time, still using some form of you know an electronic tool to make that happen. But now we're engaging and we're laughing all at the same time, and um. I, I, I see, I do. I mean, my brother, my younger brother is a Buddhist. Like, man, that motherfucker answers his phone like once a week, you know, like he (laughs) rarely, and he's in production. I mean, this is a guy who owns a production company. You know, he's not really on social media. Um, he doesn't really text, you know, and he only checks email a couple of times a day. 
and he's a much yeah. happier individual. Oh, brother, my goal is to one day ha- have my email setting set where it's just like the automatic response goes, Eric checks his email every Monday and Thursday between noon and 2 p.m. Right. Oh, could you imagine? <laughs> like well, one day that's going to be me where it's just like, you don't interrupt my creative process. No right. one has the right to do that. You know, um, and you know, I'm glad that you mentioned your brother um, being a Buddhist because actually I'm not Buddhist or anything, but I, I'm a big proponent of meditation and I meditate pretty much every day. Yeah. And I feel like it's one of those things that allows me to be involved with all the products I'm in. And I'm also just, I actually, I forgot to mention that I briefly become a partner at AZ Distilling. Oh, the cool. only micro distillery in the U.S. to win three double golds at the SF World Spirits Comp, by the way. Wow, dude. But it allows me to take on all these projects you know, yeah. the three bars, I, I helped with Bartenders Weekend, this big cocktail convention that happens every year in San Diego. And without ever going crazy or going out of my mind, and not only that, but without ever being tapped out, yeah. without just being exhausted and unable to to problem solve. So it, well, I, when just I, by taking, you know, 15 minutes out every day, it, it allows my brain to like kind of regenerate and recenter myself. It's a, a couple of weeks ago, I had an, I had, a, I had an appearance in Brooklyn and uh, it was it was super unorganized. It was, I, I, I started to feel myself really getting that anxious, uh, annoyed stress because mm-hmm. the project just, you know, they, they were just like, oh, okay, well, it's Brian Duffy. He's a professional. He'll just figure everything out when he gets here instead of having the stuff set up and, and which is what I needed for me to be able to execute at the high level to deal with the guest. You know, I, was, I, mm-hmm. I made made 120 pizzas in two hours. You know, I mean, like I was crushing it. Like we were really busy, but it would have gone much smoother if, and the first session, I really felt it. I wasn't as engaging with the guests that were walking up and talking to us. You know, hey, can you take a picture? Hey, can you do this? And after the first session, I turned around and I walked into the back and I sat on a really shitty chair and I put my feet up on a production box, you know, a hard case. And I popped my headphones in and I just did a five minute meditation and I just kind of pulled myself back down and I grounded everything and I was breathing because breathing, I think we miss the basics of breathing Yeah, way too often. We, we talk so fast. We have to get our point across. We don't listen. We, we, we think about what our next response is and breathing stops you from doing that. Just take a breath. Yeah. One simple breath. Um, dude, listen to my, my show that I did, my, my spiritual guru, her name is Sally, Sally, um, young, she's her second time on the show. And uh, I mean, we, she's brilliant with meditation and she does a lot of Reiki and all the other stuff, but you know, it's all about that moment just sitting back. She does meditation clubs and and I hate to say it in this really kind of weird world that we live in. I think that there are some really awesome things that are coming out of it. And I think that one of those is the amount of people that are now meditating, the amount of people, yeah, that are, whether it be guided or TM. Now, do you do guided or are you, are you trans transcendental? Oh, I, I do guided. You do guided. Yeah, they're awesome. So I love the and Deepak you know- Chopra stuff. If you get a chance, the, he has, he has like 20 of them that are up there. I'll just send you a link to it. And there's some really cool, there's one about awakening your wanderlust. There's some about awakening your creativity and, you know, that just a really nice guided meditations that I like to listen to. You know, and it's funny. I've had people tell me like, oh, I, I can't meditate. I can't, I can't like, and my mind needs to be constantly, constantly like entertained and entertained. I'm like, well, what do you do when you're in the shower? Yeah. They're like, well, I'm kind of like, I'm like, well, 
you're, you're, you're just like lost in thought, right? You don't really know what you're thinking about. You're not thinking about one thing. Your mind just like, like, it, I'm like, that's essentially you're, you're like attained a meditative state when you're sitting in the back of a car on your way back yes. from the airport and you're just, you know, that's a meditative state. You know, yeah. meditating is just, it's just essentially being a deep thought. So doesn't mean you have to be thinking about a specific thing, but you're just, you know, you're in thought. That's essentially all you're doing. Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, there's something about, about making yourself shut the fuck up for 15 minutes that is priceless. Exactly. I had a, uh, my, swear on this, I've sworn, I've sworn a few times. Dude, go to fucking town, man. Go to town. This is, you know what? This isn't radio. This is our show. We can do whatever we want. It's the best. Um, my, uh, my ex-girlfriend, a wonderful human being. Uh, we were together for, you know, on and off seven years. Her father was TM. He meditated for two hours a day and he was in Holy his shit. 20 and he was in his 20th year. He was one Damn. of the most, one of, one of the most peaceful men that I had ever come in contact with. He was just a, a very, a very calm individual. You could see that he thought things out before he did them. He didn't, he didn't, you know, there was no knee jerk reaction. You know, he was just a very calm guy. And, you know, I mean, they drive down for Thanksgiving and sometimes we had to hold dinner for an hour because he was yeah. meditating from four to five, you know, and, and my other brother, my, I mean, my, my brother, Tim, like I was saying, I mean, he's, you know, he's more or less Buddhist and I mean, he's, it's changed his life and it's kind of, I do it with my girls, girls take five Dude, minutes. Let's I just think, sit down and breathe, man. Yeah. And I think something that is so priceless is that in the hospitality business, it's very important to realize that not everything is about, uh, about yourself. Right. And I feel like the, the, you know, one thing that really helps about meditating is like, essentially you're like kind of practicing empathy or suppressing the ego. And that helps me give better service to get because right. I'm not so self-involved, uh, self-absorbed and self-involved because it allows me to get outside of myself. So I honestly feel like my service that I provide to my guests has gotten so much better because I'm not so intertwined in my own head. I do, when I do pre-meals, I start off pre-meals with a breath. Yeah. I just want everybody to take a cleansing breath. Look, whatever happened today, it's over and done with. We can't change it. It's not going to go away. We're here at work now. We're going to be here for the next six, eight hours. Everybody just take a breath, man. Pull it in real tight. Hold it for four. Release. There. Look at us. Look at how good we feel. Release that which no longer serves us. It's one of my favorite things I think that I've learned in the last bunch of years. Release that which no longer serves you. You know, Take that deep breath. Hold it inside of you. Keep holding it. Feel that pain. You're starting to get a little uncomfortable. You're getting a little anxious. You can't breathe right now. Now release it. Release that which no longer serves you. It's that simple. So, dude. Oh, that's good. That's golden advice, man. I mean, I wish it was as easy to apply. Oh, totally. To say, but no, no, but that's the challenge of it. The challenge is you need to have something to aspire to. And I love that mentality of being able to be like that. That's what I'm aiming for. And, you know, I kind of compare meditation to like breaking a horse in a lot of ways, because the thing is like your, your mind doesn't want to go into a meditative state. It does not want to like free itself of worry because it likes to indulge itself. And we're very, we like instant gratification, but there's something about, you know, kind of, kind of grappling your mind down and making yourself just breathe and relax when, when instead we would rather have an emotional release and get angry or get upset or something, throw ourselves a pity party. But there's something, but instead by like, by wrestling in your ego and getting yourself to just calm down and breathe for a minute, it brings you to a much better place. Yeah. 
I mean, it changed, it changed the way that I see stuff. I really, you know, I talk about my, I talk about my 20 years in the industry. I've been in the industry for a lot longer than 20 years, but I talk about my yeah. first 10 and my last 10. My first 10, I can never change. There's nothing that I can do from that. But my last 10 is evolving every single day. You know, I can, I'm constantly evolving every single day, whether it be with the, the food that I put out or the way that I educate or the way that I train or the way that I run a shift or whatever it is. It's, it's, it's a constant evolving world. I'm not stuck in that just because, just because that's what I did for years before. And, and making those changes changed the way that I, I do business. I wish to God, yeah. look, in reality, Eric, I wish right now that I could have some of the staff that I worked with 15 years ago, just come and work with me now because it's a big difference. And I, and I apologize to you for being a dick 15 years ago. I didn't know any better, but now I do, you know, it's the way that I see it. No, no, that, that, that's all a good point. And I, I agree, man. When I was younger, I was just, I could have been a shitty coworker and I was very self-involved. I just had more ego. And it was like, if someone didn't like a drink that I made, I took it very personal was I kind of got upset about it. Sure. I think one thing that I I feel like it is, is I kind of held back the food and beverage industry is that, you know, say for instance, I was opening a tiki bar, right? I would buy all these old school tiki books and I'd like learn all about, you know, orgeat and passion fruit and all these rums. Right. If I was doing a French cocktail bar, I would buy, you know, um, some books on like, some old school French cocktail books and, you know, learn about cognac and Armagnac. Right. But when I get promoted to a management position for the first time, I don't read a book on management or leadership. Nope. And right. I mean, industry wise. And I think the reason for that is it's easy to fetishize the ingredients and the techniques and all the romantic aspects of creativity and food and beverage, but the aspects like, you know, an Excel spreadsheet, you know, um, uh, how to do, how to conduct, um, you know, productive interviews. Yeah. How to eat and manage like those aren't really, those aren't fetishized. We don't really romanticize those. So I feel like in a way it kind of does our disservice to an industry because we don't dwell on those and we don't focus on those um, as much as we should. So it's like, you know, I mean, I can only dream of how much more effective I would have been if I had been able to have like a book like creativity Inc in my life when I was like 22, as opposed to when I was 32. So I feel like it, it's so important for us to make sure we make ample time for those and also to provide a better example for the younger bartenders and younger chefs who are coming up in the industry. I agree, dude. I totally agree. I mean, I try to talk to a lot of, a lot of staff now about that. Like, look, I've already made these mistakes, man. You know, I've been here. I've done this. Let's, there's, there's so many other opportunities to move forward. And, and, and look, there's, you know, it's easy for me to say, Hey, I don't know how to make this cocktail. Can you show me as opposed to, Hey, I'm not really sure how to manage this shift. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a you sign know, of weakness. If you do ask that question. Yeah. It's so, so important to like ask the right question and, and listen to your staff. And, and I mean, shoot, like you said earlier, just listen. Yeah. It's so difficult to see things from someone else's perspective. We automatically want to see it from our own mind. And it's so important to, to get yourself out of that where it's like, look, before I try to p- persuade you, I need to understand you. Yes. And to do that, I need to practice some empathy. Yeah. And that's something that, that kind of rounds, runs culture to so much of what our, you know, our culture is about. But it's just to just shut the fuck up and listen. Dude, it, it's, yeah. it's life-changing. And so many of us don't do it. Yep. I know. I do. I do a session with 
um, staff when I do evaluations where I go in and I, and I have the manager there, I have the owners there, and then I kick the manager and the owners out of the room. And I say, okay, I'm going to ask yeah. everybody five questions. And I don't want you to, I, I don't want your name. I don't want your phone number. I don't want an email. I don't want a Twitter handle. I just want, if you don't, uh, this is totally anonymous. If this were your place, what would you do differently? If it's oh, your dude, place. That's a good, that's a good and, question. And write it down. And then I break it down into, okay, here's the thing. I want you to come up with five marketable, uh, marketable things that we can do to, to raise awareness for the bar. And most of the time, people start off with the first one or two where they say, oh, we need to do a happy hour where we give free food away. You know, or, or we need to discount our cocktails. And then I stop them after the third one and I say, okay, now your last two, no discounts. Be creative. Come up with something. Stop yeah. bastardizing your brand because you want to discount it. Think outside of the box. What would you do differently if this were your place? And how would you operate? Mm -hmm. And it's totally anonymous. You know, what would you do differently in the management style? What would you do differently with the food, with the cocktails? And it's amazing what you get when somebody doesn't have to put their name to something. Mm -hmm. so, so that's that, dude. Uh, dude, I love talking to you, man. I really do. Well, man, this was a great chat, brother. I enjoy I enjoy having you on. I'm really glad we got the opportunity to get you on. Um, and anytime you guys you want to come back, man, I'd love to have you out here. So no, yeah, yeah, I'd love to get on again, man. This is a definitely this is definitely a great chat. And um, also, man, I got a plug again, guys. Go. Don't forget to check out Bartender at Large, a podcast available on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast. Cool. And then I'll see you in Vegas. Oh, definitely, brother. With that, just a couple months. Couple months, dude. It's like it's like a month and a half away, two months away. It's almost yeah. two months away. Yeah, it's March twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. I'm excited for this year. I don't know if you know, I do a huge section out there called the Food and Beverage Innovation Center that we started off with ten thousand square feet, and we're about forty five thousand square feet now. Um, so I'd love to have you come down and check it out. We do some neat stuff. I work with a really cool mixologist who takes all my chef's recipes and then he creates a cocktail for every single recipe that they, my guys create. And then we serve that cocktail to all the guests who walk through our booth. So oh, it's that's fun. killer. Yeah. I came by a couple of years ago. Last time when I was in town once I, I came by and checked you out, you were doing like a demo for like, I don't know, like 200 people or something. Uh, in Vegas, so it's hard to chit chat with you. Yeah, yeah, because you yeah you that was on stage. yeah that that you know what that kills that the show itself, which is such a great show, and I'm really stoked at the positivity that it's received over the last couple of years. The numbers dip down, numbers are really starting to come back because I'm on the board for NCB as well, and you should be on the board too, dude. I, you know what? I'm going to make that introduction. I'm going to make that happen. If you're well, interested, man, send me an invite, brother. Okay, so let me let me make sure that that happens. We've got some really good, aggressive people on the board. And uh, one of the things that we've really talked about is the fact that we should be the industry. The, this is the industry leader. This is the largest nightclub and bar show in the world. And this needs to be a huge amount with the education, the tracks that we put out. So I hope that the guest who's coming through, the, the person who's come through over the next year or two is really catching that because we're putting a shit ton of money and effort into building these amazing educational tracks and making sure that it's not just, you know, the Israeli guy who's selling the eye cream on the floor. You know, there yeah. needs to be like the Emerging Brands Pavilion. Man, I think the Emerging Brands Pavilion has 52 vendors this year. Think about that. 52 vendors of brand new products that have come out in 2018 into 19. That's a lot of product, man. 
Bam. And now we've got a whole, we've got a cannabis track as well that we're doing a huge cannabis track because it's what people want to know about now. So, yeah, dude. Yeah. And it's something that I feel like that that's going to be, I don't want to say it's a hurdle, but it's, you know, it's a problem, but an opportunity as well, depending on how you look at it. Right. Because I think a lot of places, I was just in Vegas over the weekend, a lot of places don't know how to incorporate it yet. Like, well, are you cafe or is it going to be part of the bars? You know, I, I honestly think that there's a huge opportunity for people to open cafes right now that, that everybody's sleeping on. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, not, we're the, not necessarily cocktails, but just like a cafe with cool things to do, uh, cool things to distract you, just like kind of fun with, with, yeah. with food and drink and coffee, like, but that are more cannabis centered. I think there's a massive market for that. And I think people are going to hear these kind of ideas in 10 years and look back and be like, yeah, well, fucking, of course. Right. It's so obvious. Well, I mean, we're, we're standing at the, we're, we're watching, if you break it down, we're watching prohibition unfold in front of us. Yeah. We're watching it unfold. We're watching a class A one. I don't even know what they are. Drug that has been, you know, that has been stigmatized as a horrific gateway drug that we're now mm-hmm. finding finally, finally finding the benefits of it and what's happening with it. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, once Constellation buys into uh, buys into a cannabis farm, shit's changing. Yeah. The world is now moving. What's going to happen next? Am I going to walk in and am I going to be able to get a sativa lager that's going to keep me up for the next two hours and, and euphoric and happy and uplifted at the same time as it's reducing joint and swell, it, you know, pain and swelling in my joints? Fuck, I want that beer, you know? <laughs> I mean, wh- why would you not? I mean, you're getting, you know, we're dealing with CBD across the board. I was in New York. I was in New York a couple of weeks ago. I'm standing in, in Times Square with my daughter for her 15th birthday. And there's a CBD truck in the middle of the street. Now, the average human being doesn't understand that CBD doesn't have a euphoric effect to it. But they're selling CBD candies in the middle of Times Square. Like we're in a really cool place right now. So go buy your weed stocks because I'm telling you, there's a shitload of money to be made in it. So, I don't know. Eric Castro, hungry bartender. I appreciate your time, man. Oh, bro. Thank you so much for having me, man. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure, man. And I'll reach out before I get out into Vegas. And uh, are you doing, are you speaking out there or are you just going to the show? Yeah, I'm doing a seminar on uh, non alcoholic cocktails, which another topic I think is really important. So, okay. I'm going to put the mix out there. I'm going to put the name. I'm going to kind of put the juju out there and. And uh, see what we can do. Uh, get you on the board, man, because you're you're an iconic person in this industry. That's how I feel at this point. And I think that your voice needs to be heard uh, amongst the board for a really important show. So that's what I got to say about that. Uh, thank you so much, man. Dude, my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. Congratulations on all your success. Please. The last time I saw your wife, she had a button on that said, shut the fuck up. Good advice. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's great advice. I love it. I love it. Uh, I got to get back out there to see you. And, uh, whenever you're back East, man, give me a shout. All right. We'll do man. We'll hang soon. Eric Castro, the man, the myth, the legend right there. Hungry bartender, everybody, a gentleman that I really want you guys to uh, pay attention to because he is making his mark in this industry. Check out his podcast, Bartender at Large. Check out the show, the uh, movie that he's got online. I'm looking at it right now, um, released on September 11th, 2017. You can buy this movie for $3.99, or you can just watch this fun little trailer that I'm looking at right now that is talking about super cool stuff you know it's really shot well um it breaks down um that 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 world that's behind that slab i think that's pretty cool 
Um, uh, Just a a great episode. I always love talking to Eric. I think that we have um, really nice, educated conversations, and I'm a big fan of that. I hope you guys feel the energy out of this show because I am on fire right now, literally on fire. Um, I'm excited for this year. I'm excited that we've got such an amazing um, uh, opportunity ahead of us for so many different things within business, through technology, through physically touching people um, in our industry. Get in there. Get to know your guest. Find out who they are. What do they want? They're already spending their money in your location. Now, let's make it the best that it can absolutely be for those people. Okay, think outside of the box. Stop trying to recreate stuff and come up with something fun. Do something new and exciting. Put your goddamn phones down as soon as you're done listening to this podcast and all the other radioinfluence.com podcasts. And and let's go do something awesome. Uh, everybody do me a favor. Thank you so much. You know my three that I got to thank. We got to thank the boys down there at radioinfluence.com. The podcast masters. Check out Ian Beckles and all his really cool stuff that he does with Radio Influence. The multitude of podcasts that they have coming out. I believe they have 22 right now, including my buddy and yours, Mr. Alan Lane, the Black Moses just came up with his own podcast on radioinfluence.com. You'd like them on the show? Go and check him out on radioinfluence.com and listen to his podcast as well. You're a motorcycle fan? Trust me, this is the man that you want to have beers with. Okay? Michelle out there, Techno Solution does all of our really cool graphic stuff. I appreciate it. Maggie Gagliardi, the wonderful, talented, beautiful woman she is who does such an amazing job with every single one of our guests and their caricatures and her talent that she puts from pen to screen to ink, whatever it works out to be, makes me a happy man. Everybody, thank you so so much for hanging out with us on Duffified Live this week. Now do me a favor. Go out and just be fucking nice to somebody. Adios. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a We've Seen That Quick Fix on Radio Influence. There were protests. There were protests while this movie was being filmed in San Francisco. In fact, the San Francisco police, as the story goes, were constantly on hand, sometimes in riot gear, because there were activists. There were gay, lesbian activists that were upset with the portrayal that Catherine would be the bisexual or homosexual killer of uh, uh, of all of these different people in the movie. And so there were protests being made. Well, what the protesters eventually started trying to do was reveal to everybody that Catherine is the killer. And Jay, when I saw this movie in the theater, I still vividly remember even in Tampa here where where I was living at, at the time, having graduated from college, I remember going to the theater and there were protesters outside the theater. I don't know if you remember any of this in and around the coverage. There were protesters. and I remember a female holding up a sign that said Catherine is the killer before before we went in. My first thing is, I don't know who Catherine is. I haven't seen the movie yet, so I don't know which one Catherine is. And as we're going along, I think I was a little slow to pick up that, OK, wait a minute they mean that the the author here is Catherine is the killer. I just kind of watched the movie and enjoyed it. Yeah, and some of the research I did, you mentioned the cops in rag gear. They were having to be on set because they were the, the protesters were trying to mess up the actual filming of the movie as well. So they would have them when they're filming in San Francisco, they'd had the police there to be able to even film some of the scenes. And then, yes, when the movie came out of the theater, they had the people protesting saying, save your money, she did it, or what, you know, stuff like that. And I... 
I remember going. To, we we saw it at the theater, but we kind of snuck in. And I remember vividly going to see it. And in, in, um, another, we've seen that we did. White Man Can't Jump was out at the same time. And I remember how crowded the movie theater was, and we were able to kind of slip in and see it. So it was one of those deals where, you know, I was I, there. May have been some kind of protest going on when I saw it, but we were so coy and so um, so worried about getting in. I, I, you know, I might not have even noticed, and that might have even been why we were able to get in. They may have had to have people, you know, <laughs> de- dealing with that. We've seen that with T.J. Reeves and Jay Betzel can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.